Good morning, church. Uh, what a blessing it is to be uh, with you today. Um, thank you, Brittany and the worship team. That was, mm, that was some good stuff today. I, I could have kept going right there. Almost felt like we were going to for a moment, and that would have been all right. My name is Damian Thompson. I am one of the pastors on staff here uh, at North Shore, and I was just very blessed that I get a chance to just share some time with you today, share something that's been on my heart. Um, if you've been with us for the last several months, you know that we just wrapped up a series going through the book of Nehemiah, and our August family series is going to be getting started next week, okay? So when you come next week, remember, uh, bring the kids, and we're, we're going to share all in together here today. I don't know how many of you got to see it, but uh, there was a little young man that was right up front here because his dad was leading worship this morning, and he came on up front and hung out to just worship with his dad, and I took a picture of that because I thought, that is cool, all right? That is just so cool. Um, but today is, is kind of one of those uh, just, you know, interesting Sundays that land on our calendar, and Pastor Scott was just, you know, kind enough to just say, Damien, you know, would you like to do this? Yeah, uh, does the Lord have something for you to say? And I'm trusting and praying that what the Lord has had on my heart will be something that will be a blessing to us this morning. Um, church today, my goal is that when we're done, that we would all stop and take simple inventory on who and what are the voices that we trust in our lives right now, okay? Who are the voices that we trust in our lives right now? And specifically, where does the voice of Jesus rank in there? See, we, we listen to a lot of different things. We listen to music, we listen to news, we listen to podcasts, we listen to, listen to books on audio. We even have our specific preferences when it comes to our music. Um, and, and even for those of us who like to listen to certain sports analysts out there, that's kind of some of my world right there. I have certain voices that I listen to, and all of this is fine. It, it, it's, it's fine until you begin to evaluate where does trustworthiness come into play. Now, it used to be that we had voices that we could differentiate between who was giving their opinion and who was giving us just the facts. But that's not real clear anymore for us today. Because in our present environment, we've elevated certain voices to places that they shouldn't hold. And especially if they become trustworthy voices. Or in other words, what they say has influence on, and I mean significant influence, on what we see, how we think, and how it is that we act. So church, today our focus is going to be on this dynamic and the truth of the trustworthy voice, all right? Before we get started into this, we're going to be spending some time reading God's Word. So I want to invite you to go ahead and open up your Bible apps. If you'd like to have a physical Bible in your hands, raise your hand. Our ushers are coming right now. You raise your hand. They will get a Bible in your hand. We're going to be in the English Standard Version, the ESV. Okay, so if you're an NIV person or an NKJV person or one, and it reads a little differently, just want you to know where we're going to be. So if you want to be reading the same thing with us, uh, go, go select that version on your app. Church, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 8. 
Matthew chapter 8 is going to be where we're going to hang out for a little while today. If you're looking at your notes and folks online, it's good to see you this morning, online family. Blessed that, you have, that you're with us. Um, you're also going to see a corresponding set of verses in Luke chapter 7. Both of these verses refer to the same story that is about the centurion and Jesus. All right? So let's just take some time and let's just uh, take a moment. We're going to start in verse 5 of chapter 8. Let's read this together. It says, when he had entered Capernaum, and that he is Jesus, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, under my roof, excuse me, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Church, our first point today that we're gonna be talking about is this, where trust or doubt exists, influence is soon to follow. Where trust or doubt exists, influence is soon to follow. Let's take a moment and let's just kind of consider the context of this specific story. This centurion was a commander of soldiers in the Roman army, which was the military arm of the Roman Empire. He oversaw somewhere in the neighborhood of about 60 to 80 soldiers. He received better pay than those soldiers, and he received the better shares of the spoils from the occupied people. And the reason why I wanted to share that with you is, is that sometimes we look at Israel during Jesus' time and we think that they're just this sovereign nation unto themselves. They weren't. They were an occupied people. And Rome went ahead and gave Israel a certain amount of latitude for self-governing because of their faith and the laws associated with those with that faith. But when it came down to just maintaining law and order, that's what Rome was about, and that's specifically what the centurion and his regiment was for. He was used to giving orders and having them obeyed without question. So if he wanted to demand Jesus' presence, it would have only taken a simple command. But this centurion does something that's actually really unique. He comes to Jesus, this rabbi from this little old place called Nazareth. And he asks for help. Now, notice, it doesn't say that he's looking for Jesus. And that means he knew exactly where Jesus was, which is what a centurion, a soldier in, in charge of maintaining law and order, would be expected to know. But can you imagine what the conversation before this encounter with Jesus went like? I, I'm, I'm gonna, I just want to kind of speculate on how this went down. I think it might have sounded something like this. So, what's the report for the day? 
And he's talking to his, let's just call it his number one. Well, sir, uh, things are mostly normal, uh, you know, in, in Capernaum. Um, we caught that guy who was stealing goats, and we settled the whole mess that was going on in the market between the two regulars who normally just get at it with each other. So, you know, it's mostly a good day. All right. Mostly. So what does mostly mean? Well, we've got, we got a little something going on. Well, what is that? Well, you know that rabbi that we've been hearing about? The one that's been doing stuff in the region and nobody can really explain it, but the people are really getting on board with it? You mean that guy, Jesus? Yeah. Well, what about him? Well, he's in town. Jesus is here. Yeah, he is. Well, what is he doing? He's doing the same stuff that he's doing in all those other places. Where people are sick, they're getting healed. Folks who can't walk, they walk, they're, they're lame, they, they walk. People who, well, sir, I can only describe as they got something in them that's not right. It's almost evil. He casts it out. And, and it's, it's amazing. Amazing. You, you speak as almost if you've seen it. We have. Have all the men seen it? We have, sir. Wow. You know, sir, I brought this up to you because I know your servant is not getting any better. No, he's not. You want us to go get Jesus? We'll go get him and we'll bring him here. Okay? No, don't do that. And this is where the centurion decides to get himself up, get himself dressed. He may have already been dressed, but get, get himself ready to go. And he, he gets his, and I'm assuming a centurion doesn't walk around by himself, so he probably has some personal guard with him. And he says, you know what? We're going to go talk to Jesus. And while this is an example of what trust looks like and influence that comes from it, we have an example of what, when doubt is present, what that influence can look like. So church, I'm going to have you flip all the way back to the first book in the Bible. We're going to go back to the book of Genesis. We're going to go to chapter 3. Now, some of this might sound a little familiar because Pastor Scott talked about this a little bit just last week, but I want to look specifically at this moment. In the setting that we have right now, creation is complete. God has created the heavens and the earth and everything living within it. God has now also created man in his image. And from man, he has created woman also in God's image. And he set them up in the garden. And everything, church, and we don't get to use this word very often, is perfect. Just as God designed it and intended it. But then something happens in chapter 3, verse 1. A lot of you feel so familiar with it, but let's read it. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may, serpent, we, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was, be, was to be desired to make one wise, 
she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. And then both their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now church, at this point, the only voices that Adam knew were God's and Eve's. The only voices that Eve knew were God's and Adam's. But here comes in a third voice, a new voice, a foreign voice. And this voice gets space that has not been earned in any way to ask one question. Did God really say, don't eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden? Doubt enters in just that quick. And when doubt enters, desire comes into play. And when desire comes into play, next thing you know, fruit is eaten, fruit is shared, and it begins. What most of us in Christendom understand as the fall of man. Here it happens right here. And it begins with doubt and the influence that comes from it. The second point that we're going to take a look at today is this. Know the voice and the person behind the voice. Know the voice and the person behind the voice. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to go back to Jesus and the centurion. There's a very quick but significant exchange that happens between the two of them. This is in verse 6. This is what it says. We already read it. I want to read it again. It says, Lord... The centurion says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he, Jesus, said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. This centurion's response to Jesus' offer was astounding. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. We're not fully clear that the centurion knew who Jesus really was, even though we find in the, the account from Luke in Luke chapter 7 that this centurion was actually sympathetic to the Jews. And while Jesus was extremely popular at this time, the vast majority of the Jews didn't even believe that Jesus was who he said he was. So why would the centurion believe? But he knew that there was a man in the region who was doing things that no one else could do, and that man was now in his town. He knew that at the voice of Jesus, the demonically possessed were freed, the lame walked, the sick, and that means all kinds of sick, were healed. Even the lepers, which was considered the worst, the worst disease, the worst ailment that you could have, he healed them too. But was this man familiar enough with the Jewish faith to know that they spoke of one who would come to set the captives free, heal the broken, redeem the people of God? Well, we're not exactly sure, but his immediate response to Jesus was Lord. And that says something. He knew something. How do we know? Because a Roman soldier would never just call any old regular Jewish rabbi Lord unless he knew something about the voice 
and the person behind the voice. We have another example, church, of when the voice of God was known and trusted and then it wasn't. I'm going to have you turn back to Numbers chapter 20. I want to apologize if you're looking at your notes, online family, if you're looking at your notes, it says Genesis 20. That's my bad. I missed it by two books, okay? I, I was close, but I missed it. So if you go back to Genesis and hop forward two books, you go Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, there you go. And we're going to go to chapter 20. Let me give you the setting here. Israel is in the wilderness. They've been here for a minute now, okay? Um, and as we go through this story, you might understand a little bit why they're there and they're there for as long as they are. They're in the wilderness of Zin is what is described that. And they've settled uh, on, the, on the outskirts uh, of, uh, uh, of a kingdom called Edom near a town now called Kadesh. And they got themselves a little problem. And the problem is this. There's no water. And when you're talking about the million plus people that Israel made up and there's no water, that's a problem. And the people of Israel do what they have gotten real good at doing, and that's complain. And they focus their complaint to Moses and Aaron, another thing that they've gotten really, really good at. Now, I want you to understand that this is not a new moment here, especially for Moses and Aaron, okay? Back in earlier in the scripture, there's, a, there's another story, same situation. They're in the wilderness. There's no water. They complain and come to Moses and Aaron. Moses goes to God. God says, Moses, take your staff, strike the rock, water will come out. Sounds like a pretty uh, easy deal. Moses obeys. He goes, takes the staff, hits the rock, water comes. Well, now we get ourselves into a little bit of a different situation on God's response. So let's start in verse 7 of Numbers chapter 20. It says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring out water of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from, from before the Lord as he commanded him. Now, this sounds pretty straight ahead, all right? We got a game plan. We're on the same page. We're all good. All right, all hands in. One, two, three, water. All right, here we go. Should have been clean. Should have been simple. Oh, but let's keep reading. In verse 10, it says, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. Ah, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Oh, boy. Now, church, I almost kind of get the sense that Moses was kind of feeling himself. Because the directions were real clear. And I don't know how Moses got from here to here. But he was told to speak. He doesn't. He hits it. Not once, but twice. 
Now, this is where I want to just get a little creative license in my, my head here. So we don't have anything in Scripture. This is just Damien talking, all right? I wonder what happened the first time he hit it. You rebels. Oh, we were going to bring water out of this rock. He takes the staff. Whack. Nothing. And you can you just see Moses take a look at the staff? Is there anything wrong with the staff? I don't know. It looks fine to me. I mean, Aaron, what do you think? It's looking good. I mean, you know, it's, it's got some miles on it. You think I should take it in, get it fixed? I mean, you know, I mean, it still works. As if the staff was the issue. But Moses takes that staff, whacks that rock again, water comes out. Moses, I can just see him. Yeah, there's your water. I'm the man. There you go, Israel, and you're welcome. Church, can I ask a question? Do, do you find yourself maybe kind of identifying a little bit with Moses? Because, see, for me, I'm wondering, how do you get from God saying, speak to the rock? To Moses deciding, nope, I'm going to hit the rock. It's almost as if a different voice came in. And can you imagine the little inner dialogue that might have been happening in Moses' head? When it's like, hey, Moses, what, what, are you, what are you getting ready to do? Well, I'm getting ready to speak to the rock. Yeah, 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 about that. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know about that speaking to the rock thing, man. That, that, that sounds a little weak right now. What do you mean sounds a little weak? God just told me to do this. Yeah, I know, but God's not here right now. Look at all these people out here. They are mad, and they're mad at you, and they want some water. You speak to this water and it doesn't work. Then what you going to do? What are you talking about? No, I'm going to go ahead and speak to the rock. I think you need to stick with what works, Moses. Remember, we've been here before. Hit the rock, man. Hit it because that's what hit, hit it. Hit that rock. It makes you look strong. It makes you feel good when you hit it. Hit that rock. And Moses gave in. Do we find ourselves sometime in the same space where God has spoken to us or showed us very clearly what he wants us to do? And we hear it, we understand it, and then somewhere between that clear understanding and go time, another voice comes in. Another voice begins to say, ah, you know what? You got a lot going on right now. You got a lot on your plate. It's been a rough week. Uh, I think you need to take a pass. You know, I, God, I know you told me to, uh, can I catch you on the next round? Lord, can I catch you on the next go round on this? Because uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I, you know, I just can't. Something tells me that what Moses did may not be too far from our own reality, especially when we let another voice come in. Church, our last point for the morning is this. The voice you trust is the voice you return to. The voice you trust is the voice you return to. Now, church, we have no account in Scripture of what happened after Jesus healed the centurion's servant. He leaves. Wouldn't it be cool if there was, you know, if, if Matthew and, and Luke, and there's even part of an account of this in the, in the book of John, and, and they say, and the centurion gave his life to Jesus. 
And, and he came under the leadership of one of the apostles, and he was discipled. And he began to spread the word of Jesus throughout Capernaum and all the region. Man, that would be like, wow. Because it would demonstrate that the centurion returned to the voice he trusted. But we don't have that. We don't have that story. I know some of you here this morning, you have voices that you've returned to in your lives. That you've returned to again and again and again. And that something tells me that if we were to pass a microphone out, we would hear some amazing stories today. I know I have a voice that I return to. And I trusted pretty much my entire life. And that was my dad. You know, my, my dad is somebody that when I stop and think, I can tell you about the tone of his voice. I can tell you about the inflection in his voice. I can tell you what he sounded like when he laughed, when he sneezed, and when he snored. I know all that stuff. But what sticks with me are moments like the first time he spoke to me as a man. I remember that moment because I was no longer a boy right there. Now, I wish I could repeat what he said to me, but I can't do that. That was for me and my dad, but I'm telling you, I needed that. I can remember the moment when he dropped me off at college. I was going to a college in Portland, Oregon that he wasn't real excited that I was going to. And the car gets ready to pull out. He rolls down the window and he says, son, now, if you have a little change of heart right now, you can go get your stuff and put it all in the car and we can just go back home and we'll tell everybody that we just went on a little drive from the Bay Area to Portland and back. <laughs> he said, but if I pull out of this parking lot, I'm not coming back until you finish. And I said, it's all right, Pop. I got this. And he pulled out. He rolled up his window. He pulled out. And when he turned the corner, I panicked. <laughs> I freaked out because I thought, what did I just do? I can remember when I was at the lowest point in my life trying to survive a divorce. And it was my dad who called me. And he didn't ask me, how you doing? How you feeling? First thing he would ask me is, what have you done today? because he knew I hadn't done anything, because I was just in the midst of just mess. And he would then give me instructions on what I needed to do that day. His voice was one that I didn't always appreciate, but it was a voice I learned to trust. And it was a voice that I returned to again and again, and I miss. I miss being able to pick up the phone and call him. But I still get to hear his voice. He's still with me. As a matter of fact, his voice was even significant and who it is that I married and I'm still married to today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But when your dad says, mm, that's a good decision, son. That rang with me like you wouldn't believe. But even his voice was not the voice that I returned to the most, if I'm going to confess to you. That voice was the voice of Jesus. In John chapter 10, verses 27, you don't even have to look that one up. We got this one for the screen for you. Jesus said this. 
He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus' words are powerful. Do you recognize the voice of Jesus? Some of you may be sitting here today and you may honestly be confessing, Damien, listen, I've tried to listen for his voice. I can't hear anything. He doesn't speak to me. I know some of you hear him, but I don't, I don't get that. Okay. Then get in his word. If you want to know what Jesus is saying to you, we got four accounts of it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get in there. Get in there. Read what he has to say for you. Because his words are life. His words are food for the hungry soul. His words are peace. His words heal and restore. His words are a beautiful, beautiful invitation. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, these words, I think, are just gorgeous. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will eat with him and he with me. Church, does the invitation get any better than that? He said, if anyone, anyone who can hear my voice opens the door because I'm knocking. I'm coming in. Remember, my goal today was this. To have us all stop and just take a simple inventory. Of who are the voices that we trust today and where does Jesus' voice rank? And if you find yourself in a place this morning in just honest inventory and evaluation. And you recognize that there are voices that are at the top of the list, and it's not Jesus. What is beautiful about the bride of Christ is this. When we recognize that there is distance between us and him, that separation can be healed. It's called having a metanoia moment, or what we like to more commonly call today a moment of repentance. And repentance should not have the heaviness and the weight that sometimes is associated with it. With repentance comes freedom because we say, Jesus, I am sorry. I don't know exactly how I let your voice fall down, but today I want to restore your voice to its rightful place. And I want to listen to you first. I want to listen to you most. Now, today, you might even be in a space of this. Damien, I want that invitation. I want to come in. I want that relationship with Jesus. You can do that today, too, because we trust what his word says. If anyone knocks and opens the door, I will come in. And we can do that through a simple prayer here this morning. So church, 
This is where we let the Holy Spirit really do his work. Because right now is that space and that time when, the, when there's another voice that's going to begin to say, you know, that was a nice sermon. Let's go look at some cars and have some lunch. <laughs> I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is not going to let you off that easy today. And that he has you in a place and he is saying to you, do you hear my voice first as the trustworthy voice in your life? And then the answer is either yes or no. So church, if you know that answer, I'm going to invite you to stand. and We're going to enter into a time of worship. We have something that the Lord needs to say to us and we need to say to him. Let's do some business with him this morning. The cars are there. They're not going anywhere. You can do lunch later, but right now, let's get things where they need to be. Let's get his voice.